This is the podcast by the Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by the Straits Times, where we analyze the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I'm your host Audrey Tan, and I cover science and environment for the Straits Times. My co-host is David Fogarty. Hi, I'm David, and I'm the climate change editor at the Straits Times. It is the 25th of August. Climate scientists have recently sounded alarm bells for humanity if immediate, rapid, and large-scale action to reduce the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere is not taken. Today, we discuss how putting a price on carbon can help us achieve this aim and ward off catastrophic climate change. Joining us is Dr. Vinod Thomas, a visiting professor at the National University of Singapore, who was formerly with the Asian Development Bank and the World Bank. Welcome, Dr. Thomas, to our show. Thank you very much. So, Dr. Thomas, we are wondering whether you can start us off by giving us a one-on-one on pricing carbon. What exactly does it mean to put a price on something as intangible as carbon dioxide? Well, carbon pricing indeed is a simple idea, just like putting a price on plastic so that one doesn't overuse it. Uh, but in reality, carbon is not priced. Air is by and large free. And so that has led to an untenable problem of too much carbon dioxide in the air. So mechanisms are now being used to some extent, but proposed in a big way to create a price and value for carbon so that its use is better rationed. All of us are familiar with the plastic bag tax and what that aims to achieve. So it's kind of similar with carbon, right? I mean, if you make polluters pay to emit carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, you're actually providing an incentive to improve energy efficiency, to redirect efforts towards greener technologies that does not produce all these emissions in the first place. Is that right? That is correct. It is analogous. Uh, What is the difference? Well, the order of magnitude and where we are with the carbon issue uh, is one that the recent uh, IPCC UN report calls an unequivocal situation where we have in many ways already reached a tipping point. That is to say that the urgency for action and the scale of action needed to bring some sense into the carbon market uh, is extraordinary. And so the order of magnitude is the difference uh, between uh, even the plastic uh, waste situation, which is bad, but the carbon one Uh, is one that is raising an existential problem. So, Dr. Thomas, there are at least three mechanisms in which companies and governments can be forced to pay for CO2 or carbon dioxide pollution, uh, I believe. Could you take us um, through each of those just very briefly? Essentially, the idea is to create a price for carbon. And how does one do that? Um, So, as we produce cement or we produce uh, iron and steel, uh, carbon uh, dioxide is emitted into the air with no penalty for the amount that is being emitted. So one simple way is to say, look, I'm going to figure out how much you're polluting as a result of the cement production or iron and steel production and put a tax on that. This is something Singapore is doing in a very small scale, in a a small way on limited uh, uh, products, Uh, so that when cement or iron and steel are being produced, people take into account not only the accounting on the 
product being produced, but also to some extent, how much am I damaging the air? So number one, it is the carbon tax. Number two would be, you say, look, this is the total amount of carbon emissions that is allowed if you produce cement or if you produce iron and steel. Okay, well, that in a way indirectly tells you that if I avoided that, uh, then I'm creating a certain value. So the amount of carbon that you are going to emit is going to be fixed by the government, uh, by some international body, uh, some mechanism, so that you then create a need to achieve pollution reduction. So that second mechanism takes you to the world of trading as well, by which I mean some people may overdo it, some people may underdo it. So those who have done better than they could have or should have uh, are able to trade that additional value that they created to those who are not doing quite as well. Uh, but in any case, the basic difference between the carbon tax and the carbon uh, trade is that in the first case, uh, the price is fixed, but you don't know exactly how much carbon will be reduced. In the second case, the amount of carbon that you're going to do uh, emit is fixed, but you don't know what price you will end up with as a result of that. So those are the two big ticket items. But let me add a third, which is actually, I personally find it very attractive because it also touches on um, uh, human altruism in a way. That is to say, you do something good, such as stop deforestation, go carbon efficient, turn off your lights, uh, and so on and so forth. As a result of which, you avoid emitting carbon. And doing that, uh, you get a certain amount of credit. Now, who's going to give the credit? Well, that can be complicated, but there are some mechanisms that could even be voluntary where that credit can be traded in the market. And as an example, Singapore could be a hub for trading uh, those kinds of credits created by some doing good and then getting some in exchange uh, value for that. So those may be the three main ones, but there are some other mechanisms. I'll just hastily add that any of these or uh, combinations of this can be done on an entirely voluntary basis, and many companies are doing that. But by and large, given the nature of the problem and where we are at, uh, the voluntary mechanism will only scratch the surface. We, uh, we as a human race is just not doing it enough voluntarily. We've got to regulate either by taxes or by um, the quotas or a thou shalt not policies of command and control or some kind of trading uh, for the good things some people do. Great. Thank you very much for the, that explanation. Um, but I believe these three different schemes have been around for quite a while. Um, and yet a lot of pollution globally still goes untaxed. So for example, in June, the International Monetary Fund estimated that four-fifths or 80% of global emissions remain unpriced and that the global average emissions price was still only three US dollars per ton. So that seems that there's a lot of room to, you know, to, to move there in terms of getting a lot of that pollution, carbon pollution under control and 
to bring up the price, to make it more attractive, I guess, to, to trade or to put on a tax for revenue, basically a stronger incentive. Absolutely. I think it, in the end, comes down to the sense of urgency with which we move. Uh, the recognition that carbon uh, needs to be priced so that the air is cleaner, so that uh, temperatures don't rise the way they do, and so that sea levels don't rise, and so we don't go underwater and uh, droughts don't destroy agriculture. All of that, in principle, is understood. And like you said, uh, David, they have been understood for a long time. But the carbon price, that one mechanism we talked about, uh, at $3, and, and uh, IMF stipulates ideally something along the lines of 75 for rich countries, 50 for middle-income countries, 25 for low-income countries, is, is way above that. And so given that the question is simply that why have not had the sense of urgency to see the problem uh, sufficiently clearly to then create markets where the price is uh, much higher, way higher than uh, what it has been. Uh, the reality is that today uh, about a fifth of the carbon is being priced uh, by tax or carbon credits and so on. Uh, and the remaining, the big part, is not. Uh, and that, in another way, also is saying uh, large emitters are going uh, without uh, controlling the pollution uh, as we speak. So this needs to be dramatically changed. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. So I want to bring the discussions back to Singapore for a bit. Um, Singapore is also looking more seriously into carbon pricing these days. I think our government did mention that they are reviewing our current carbon tax, which our critics have criticized as being way too low at US $3.70 per tonne of emissions. And on top of our review of that tax, we are also looking uh, into developing a carbon credit exchange so some people may say, hey, you know, Singapore only contributes 0.11% to global emissions. How significant is Singapore's efforts to price carbon? And how does our carbon tax compare with other countries? Well, we started the discussion with carbon pricing and one of the mechanisms being carbon tax, where Singapore has a short track record, but in relative to the other countries, it is a very important point. Uh, and the... Uh, $5 Singapore ton, uh, dollars a ton uh, comes at the low end uh, of, uh, of the range uh, that is out there, the high end being Sweden, probably close to 150, uh, that's the US, uh, and uh, Switzerland probably around 100, and then you have France around 50, and the UK 25, uh, Japan and Singapore would be on the lower end. But let me also uh, stress right away that Carbon pricing and taxing is only part of the story. Uh, it is part of a whole package of what a country is to do on climate change. So in the case of Singapore, quite a lot has been done and is planned to be done on adaptation or adapting to climate change. And that needs to be recognized and given a recognition or credit for we are talking heavily about mitigation or prevention, without which adaptation 
won't work. I mean, there's nothing to adapt if the mitigation part doesn't uh, doesn't get the attention it deserves. And so we're rightly talking about that. So how does Singapore go from $5 upwards? So here we can think of a combination of mechanisms. Uh, although Singapore's uh, carbon footprint in terms of the amount of carbon it emits as a part or a percentage of the global total is very low, uh, like 0.1%, because it is a small economy, one needs to also recognize that per person, Singapore's carbon footprint is very high. It's, it's on the other edge, uh, other side of the spectrum. In between, you could also think of a different measure, uh, which actually is very important to think about, which is not just the total amount you emit, not just the total amount you emit per person, but something in between, uh, uh, meaning the amount you emit per GDP you create or economic activity you create, because there's a value to that. You don't want to minimize the importance of um, the uh, GDP that is associated with the carbon emissions as well. And Singapore probably comes somewhere in the middle on that spectrum. But taking those three measures per capita, total, and per GDP together, there is no doubt that the uh, $5 a ton, Singapore dollars, while an excellent start, uh, needs to increase. But I would say along with that, other measures can complement and get stronger results uh, uh, as we go along. And that would include uh, Singapore's role in carbon trading uh, and all the uh, afforestation or the greening of the cities or cooling of the cities and mechanisms uh, or protecting uh, the coastlines and so on, uh, taken together, the package could be much stronger. But as it stands on mitigation, um, uh, although the carbon footprint is small, uh, given its uh, high uh, uh, place uh, in per person carbon emission, Singapore has both uh, a modeling role to play, but also uh, one on technology that Southeast Asia could benefit from. And if Southeast Asia doesn't make a big change, uh, that affects everyone, including Singapore. Singapore's uh, carbon footprint uh, is small and it is one thing. But the point I would like to stress is that its role in Southeast Asia, in the region of Asia, and in the world is disproportionate uh, to the size of the carbon footprint. Uh, Singapore has a great deal to gain itself, uh, and the world has an enormous uh, gain from Singapore playing a role that is out of line or out of uh, uh, proportion. So what do you think are the main obstacles to pricing carbon correctly, not just in Singapore, but you know, globally, what needs to be done? Globally, um, since only uh, a certain number of countries are currently even experimenting with uh, uh, carbon pricing, uh, United States and Australia are two among the rich countries uh, that are blaring in their absence. Uh, India, uh, among the low-income countries, lower-income countries, middle-income uh, to be precise, um, uh, is also uh, conspicuous by its absence. These countries need to uh, join hands uh, 
uh, in having some mechanisms in place. As important as the mechanisms of carbon pricing uh, is a signal that is to be sent that we really mean business. Announcements have their value. People observe them and uh, Millennium Development Goals or Sustainable Development Goals by saying that this is where we are headed. Uh, you're committing yourself and in an international arena that has a certain value. So to the extent that um, countries uh, have announced their 2050 goal to become carbon neutral, zero net addition, it's a great thing. But there again, some countries have not done that. Uh, so China has a 2060 target. Japan and Korea have uh, a 2050 target. United States uh, is going to be also in that uh, 2050 range. Uh, but you need definitely uh, other countries like uh, Russia, Australia, India to join as well. And so if you take the total amount of emissions from uh, five or six of the big emitters, US, China, India, uh, Russia, Japan, uh, Germany, uh, that makes up about you know, 50 to two thirds, 50% to two thirds of the total. So uh, to the question, why aren't we seeing big impacts? It's because the big emitters are not nearly playing uh, their part uh, strongly enough, either by not pricing them enough uh, or by not announcing targets to which they are uh, tied to. Uh, so the Paris mechanism of voluntary agreements uh, have to be strengthened enormously at the Glasgow meetings uh, this year, later in November, with uh, much stronger commitments uh, on the part of all the countries, but especially the big emitters. And it comes down at the end to the sense of urgency, priority, and the political will to make these announcements and stick by them. Thank you for joining us today and breaking down the issues surrounding carbon pricing for us, Dr. Thomas. Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. For more on climate change and the environment, do check out our stories in The Straits Times. And don't forget to subscribe to our Green Pulse podcast series on your favourite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.